Rolling. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the Prophetico. I am Matthew Miller, your host, and today is April the 30th, 2016. This day, according to bridal history on the bridal calendar, it is the 22nd of Nisan. And just so everybody knows and and can begin to start following their bridal history, this day commemorates when Isaac was circumcised. It was eight days following his birth on the 15th of Nisan that Isaac was circumcised, becoming the very first child to enter the covenant with God on the eighth day following his birth. It also commemorates the encirclement of Jericho. Shortly after the crossing of the Jordan River and entering to the land of Canaan, the Jews set their sights on conquering the walled and heavily fortified city of Jericho. Following Joshua's instructions, on the 22nd day of Nisan, the Israelites encircled Jericho. The Israelites marched around the city walls, led by the priest who carried the holy ark, and sounded the shofar. This performance was repeated for seven days. On the seventh day, the walls of the city fell. So, uh, just to put that little pointer on for you, I will try to do that in an upcoming broadcast. Remind everybody of the day's uh, anniversary in bridal history. And today, uh, we're going to be talking about uh, celestial semiology and correlations with what is coming up with a most marvelous, miraculous event the Mercury transit across the sun, 2016, and how this may very well play into Bible prophecy concerning the end days. Now, before we go there, I want to predicate that uh, with a remembrance of the sequence of time and events included here. So, let's take note uh, that we're basing this fold of time, this a temporal integer uh, off references made in Daniel chapter 8 concerning the 2,300 days and the uh, 1,290-day count in Daniel chapter 12. Now, when we consider uh, what the Blood Moon Jubilee uh, parenthesized, and if you go back to uh, 1966, the beginning of that Blood Moon Tetrad, and you come to the most modern recent one that we had, this Blood Mood Tetrad, it parenthesizes Rosh Hashanah 2015 as being the end of a 49-year jubilee. So uh, take note that uh, we here at the Prophetico take a little bit different stance at all the other uh, media that is available concerning uh, the Blood Moon Tetrad, that's not what we call it at all. We call it the Blood Moon Jubilee. Uh, when you look at that and realize that it creates a secular time, uh, it lets you bash in the, the code as to where we could be prophetically on the timeline. So, 
this sequence of time, of course, the uh, 2,300 days and the 1,290 days, is really a sequences of birthing cycles. Now, uh, you can just look at the equations and, and, and what it means. Just take note that the 2,300 days, that is two years and under, or 1,010 days added to 1,290 days. And 1,290 days is that number again, two years and under, with a beginning time of a birth cycle. It's got 40 weeks on the beginning of it. So it becomes... Uh, really obvious uh, to those doing calculations. Uh, and it reminds us of, well, why would you have 1,010 days being the two years and under? The sequence, of course, can be looked upon via Hosea chapter 13 in the dire prophecy uh, concerning uh, Ephraim and Samaria. You'll take note that verse 16 uh, plainly says that Samaria will be held guilty, uh, for she has rebelled against her God. They will fall by the sword. Their little ones will be dashed in pieces, and their pregnant women will be ripped open. Uh, this, of course, has hints and insights into Jesus' way of sorrows prophecy that he gave concerning the daughters of Jerusalem. And also, of course, uh, their... Matthew 24, when he uh, makes that uh, dire proclamation, saying, Woe be to pregnant women and nursing mothers. Now, when we take a look at that as a fold of time, and I will do uh, a post dedicated to this two years and under uh, sequence of events um, all on its own. I will do a broadcast exclusively committed to that. But when we realize that the Mercury transit is 240 days from Rosh Hashanah 2015, that leaves you with 40 days left into the completion of a birth cycle. Now, 40 days has biblical ramifications that are far-reaching. Just take note that Moses was with God on Mount Sinai for 40 days. Moses was again with God on Mount, for an, uh, Mount Sinai for an additional 40 days. How long did the spies research the land of Canaan? 40 days. How long did Goliath challenge Israel for? That's right, 40 days. How long did it take for Elijah to get to Horeb? 40 days. How long did Ezekiel bear the iniquity of Judah? Forty days. God gave Nineveh how many days to repent? That's right, forty. Jesus, of course, was fasted forty days. He was tempted forty days. And he did remain on the earth forty days after his resurrection. So when we think about biblical events lining up on a prophetic timeline, we should naturally look to these things. That makes this Mercury transit absolutely amazing 
in Bible prophecy. So when we consider these things, let us consider Mercury itself. Now, you're going to have to come to a reckoning of this before we go any further. When you implement celestial semiology into the equation, you have to realize that the first candlestick is the planet Mercury. And when you look at the orbital parameters and everything else associated with this planet, this candlestick in the heavens, you immediately begin to realize if you're using a biblical perspective that God has been using Mercury for quite some time, just like he promised in the book of Genesis. He's been using Mercury as a sign and a season for us. So when we take a look at it, you have to realize that you have to literally have eyes that can see. Because when you observe Mercury with the naked eye, that's not exactly what happens in the heavens. Just take note that Mercury appears to make one orbit every 115.88 days here on Earth. That's not what it does. Because we are in motion through the heavens, it actually only takes 87.97 Earth days. But to the naked eye, like I said, it takes 115.88 days. Now, take a deep breath. Don't you realize that the difference between having eyes and eyes that can see is the mathematical equation you know of as pi. Because literally speaking, the rational fraction that is used in mathematics to exemplify the ratio of pi is 22 over 7. And that's literally what I just said. To the naked eye, Mercury takes 115.88 days to go around the sun, but it actually only takes 87.97 days. Now this, what this creates in the heavens is 40-day visibility cycles for Mercury. When it's a morning star, or one side of the sun, you see it for 40 days. And then it has a period where you cannot see it, because it's either going in front of the sun, and it's obscured by the glare, or it's going in behind the sun, obscured by the sun's glare. These morning star and evening stars, both are 40 days. And it does this three times a year. You have these phases three times. 
does Mercury give you 40 days of visibility? So, just take note. The 40-day sequence with Mercury, and the simple fact that Pi is included inside of it, if you have been given eyes that can see, it's absolutely amazing. So, knowing this, we have to understand what's going on with Mercury to create this. Well, it, Mercury is literally gravitationally locked in a resonance with the sun that produces a 3 to 2 ratio. Now, what this means is that in pers perspective to the background of fixed stars, Mercury rotates on its axis exactly three times for every two of its days, or two of its revolutions around the sun. But the visual effects to the naked eye, okay, is one rotation every two years. This sets up another amazing proportion, ladies and gentlemen, a proportion that is biblical in ways that will astound you using astronomy following the dictates of what God himself said the reason why he made those stars the luminaries in the heavens take note <laughs> okay that Mercury has a 59 day as far as we're concerned, and that day is 88 days long. That's how long the year is. So a day is 59 days, and a year for it is 88 days, as observed from Earth. Let me explain this to you. What we see visually, if you have eyes that can see, one day on Mercury is two years by the, by the perspective if you have eyes that can see. This means that it is 29 and a half days night. It's night for a whole year because she rotates so slowly. And it's 29 and a half days daytime on Mercury. Now, ladies and gentlemen, I I realize exactly what this means. This is in direct correlation with the phases of the moon. It's in direct correlation. Because this is why, historically speaking, even the ancient Greeks took note of this, that it takes two full lunar cycles to complete an even day. That's, of course, 59 days long. That's why we have six months that are full, and we have six months that are Hollow. Of course, you know this on our calendar, how the months have a different number of days. That's why. So when you realize that this is exactly what God has done, this makes a closer match to Genesis 8.22 than actually the moon does, even though we've realized that God himself says that the moon is the faithful witness. Consider the guidelines mentioned in Genesis 8.22. He said, Hereafter, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night, shall not cease, as long as the earth remaineth. 
Now, of course, you realize what he's really stating there is complete twin lunar cycles, 59 days. That's exactly what he said. He said there were six seasons, not four. And you realize that one season is in effect 59 days, a twin lunar cycle. So you have one full month and one hollow month in each season. But this is not pertaining to days. Now consider how the verse ends. It says, and day and night shall not cease. Ladies and gentlemen, one day on Mercury, half the day it's night, and half the day it is, of course, illuminated. It is daytime. When you realize the ramifications of that, that not only in Genesis chapter 8, verse 22, was God setting aside Six seasons, based upon 59-day intervals, he was not only talking about the lunar cycles. More importantly, he was really talking about the Mercury cycles. So, when we think about that, we have to look a little bit deeper uh, into the text. We have to look a, a little bit closer, because... We realize that if this correlation be true, we need to look to the Bible and find out when God talks about the faithful witness. That's, of course, in Psalms uh, chapter 89, uh, verses 36 and 37. He says, His seed shall endure forever, and his throne shall be as the sun before me. He shall be established forevermore as the moon and as the faithful witness in heaven, Selah. When we take a look at that, what word did he use there for faithful witness? Because you can put on eyes that can see and look at this prophetically and realize that the first verse prophetically is speaking of the planet Mercury. That is what is exactly before the sun. Mercury is the first planet. And he himself has just likened that to the faithful witness being the moon. Now, when you look here at the Bible source code in the Hebrew, you realize the word that he used there for moon. Now, there it has a preface kof on it. That is used only one other time in the Bible. With the prefix cough. Now, the only other time that's used is in Job chapter 29. And when you implement celestial symbology and look at Job chapter 29, it's going to rattle your cage. He's literally going to tell you everything that the astrophysicist theorize about the planet Mercury. And he's going to do it in amazing and marvelous ways. So let us take a look at this. 
Job chapter 29, the first seven verses. Moreover, Job continued his parable and said, Oh, that I were as in the months past, as in the days when God preserved me, when his candle shined upon my head, and when my by his light I walk through darkness, as I was in the days of my youth, when the secret of God was upon my tabernacle, when the Almighty was yet with me, when my children were about me, when I washed my steps with butter, and rock poured me out rivers of oil, when I went out to the gate through the city, when I prepared my seat in the street. Ladies and gentlemen, if you have eyes that can see, he's literally gave you the perfect description of a newly formed planet Mercury. It's absolutely amazing to look at when you begin to realize that that's why he said these things all together. It's referring to a first time. Remember, Job's in tribulation, so he's remembering from where it is that he's come from. But he literally come out and told you that this is a parable pertaining to the secret of God. The Lord was trying to give you signifiers there to let you know that, yes, this is what happened to Job. That's exactly what happened. But looking at it prophetically using celestial symbology, he's talking about Mercury. Let us consider this, okay? Take note that before Mercury, as supposed by astrophysicist, was solidified, it was, of course, liquid. After this first time, it, of course, began to cool. The butter he's referring to here is, of course, pools of cooling magma. We've all seen this on a scientific documentaries where they take their little stick and put it in the magma and it strings up as they go to test it. And it's just like the consistency of butter. Take note that in reference here to the oil, that's exactly like a lava flow as it flows out of a volcano running down its sides. It's not yet cooling down. It's not sticky yet. It flows just like oil. Not like water. It flows like oil. So when we think about that, it's absolutely amazing what he's saying here because he also mentions children. Does this mean that Mercury at one time had satellites? Or is it referring to before the cooling process and Mercury was spread out, all of the debris in that orbit had not been gathered into a planet yet. The correlations are off the chart. Now take note of all of these things. It's absolutely amazing when you realize that Mercury's tabernacle, why would it be in the street of the city? The great city, of course, being our solar system. 
And what is his proper place? His proper place is in the street. His tabernacle is supposed to reside in the center of the street. He's talking about Mercury's orbit. He is literally saying here that at one time, Mercury had a perfectly center circular orbit around the sun. That is not the case today. So, getting this thing here, we begin to realize maybe we should take a deeper look at Job. So, let's go back to Job chapter 29. Let's pick it up in verse 8. The young men saw me and hid themselves. And the aged arose and stood up. The princes refrained talking and laid their hand on their mouth. The nobles had their, held their peace and their tongue cleaved to the roof of their mouth. When the ear heard me, then it blessed me. And when the eye saw me, it gave witness to me. Because I delivered the poor that cried, and the fatherless, and him that had none help. The blessing of him that was ready to perish came upon me, and I caused the widow's heart to sing for joy. I put on righteousness, and it clothed me. My judgment was a robe and a diadem. I was the eyes to the blind, and feet to the lame. I was the father of the poor. And the cause which I knew not, I searched out. And I brake the jaws of the wicked and plucked the spoil out of his teeth. Then I said, I shall die in my nest, and I shall multiply my days as the sand. My root was spread out by the waters, and the dew lay all night upon my branch. My glory was fresh in me, and my bow was renewed in my hand. Until men gave me ear and waited and kept silence at my counsel. After my words they spake not again, and my speech dropped upon them. And they waited for me as for the rain, and they opened their mouth wide as for the latter rain. If I laughed on them, they believed it not, and the light of my countenance they cast not down. I chose out their way, and sat chief, and dwelt as a king in the army, as one that comfort the mourners. Ladies and gentlemen, when we look at this prophetically and realize that the vocalizations here prophetically speaking, is gravity wells. You'll take note that the entities mentioned here can be correlated to celestial bodies. Most importantly, the young and old men, asteroids, nobles and princes, comets. Let's consider this. What about the fatherless, and the widow. Ladies and gentlemen, please understand that even now, we have comets and asteroids with hyperbolic orbits. 
what that means is, and they do try to cover it up what that means. It means that their orbits are to the point they're not coming back around the ride. They're not periodical. You have to realize that the solar system itself travels through space even as we travel around the sun in our orbit. Our solar system travels round about the eye of the Milky Way galaxy. And these widows and orphans are interstellar bodies. Comets and asteroids with hyperbolic orbits. God just told you that this may very well be where our comets and asteroids come from. Prophetically speaking, he just told you that Mercury, when it was in its strength, back to the first time, back when, how did its glory shine upon Mercury's face? Of course, like I before mentioned, during the first time when it was molten, it burned, it glowed, just like the sun. During this time, these fatherless and widows, the poor, those that had weak gravity, as they come skipping through our solar system, Mercury helped them by using its gravity to establish in them periodical orbits, including them into, well, prophetically speaking, Job City, our own solar system. When you take a look at things that way, you realize that he's inferring here, this is the first time, so he's inferring that there's going to come another time. The end time. He literally come out and told you about the latter rain. That means only one thing, biblically speaking. He's talking about the final time. When you take a look and realize that now Job's great tribulation... Now take note, he doesn't mention the great tribulation he's going through here in the 29th chapter, he's remembering his first time. And he believes in his heart that this is his final time. So prophetically speaking, can we look at Mercury for signs when the fatherless and the widow and the young men, the old men, the princes and the nobles did not respect Job and come slamming into it. Just take a precursory search for the planet Mercury and what the scientists have discovered about it. It is absolutely more cratered than any other member of our solar system. It literally has a crater on all of its surface. Literally the whole thing is cratered. The whole thing. Now, take note that its cooling process had to have been extreme because it has lobate scarps on it. Well, what's that? It's great big mountain ranges caused 
by the simple fact that Mercury cooled down so clo- so quickly that it created these great big ridges, these great big mountain ranges, because it shrunk so quickly. Absolutely amazing. Not only that, uh, as far as, uh, well, let's put two and two together. One of these huge basins, the Caloris Basin, huge impact crater. Absolutely huge. This impact crater is 960 miles in diameter. In that crater, you have nine volcanoes. That's part of the in one venting field. What I'm trying to say to you, that's a super volcano with nine vents. Now, ladies and gentlemen, these volcanoes are each at least five miles in diameter. Well, you talk about at one point there being, well, oil running and mercury steps being buttered. There is no doubt. We have absolute proof of this. So, when we think about the ramifications of this, let's go one step further. There's dire things mentioned here. But remember, in Job chapter 29, he's reminiscing about a first time, and he's presently in great tribulation, when all the things he listed is exactly what's not going to happen in his final time. Let's take a look using celestial semiology for once and look at the seven churches because you realize that we've already covered that. We already read that about the candlestick. Take note that yes, the church mentioned in the book of Revelation are literal churches. But prophetically speaking, when we realize that he's talking about the seven planets, the seven stars, the seven candlesticks in the heavens, you realize that the first church must be referencing prophetically the church at Ephesus. When we take a look at it and consider what actually happens during a Mercury transit, well, it's all about orbitals. We've already talked about that a little bit, but let's take a serious look at these verses. Revelation chapter 2, 1 through 7. To the angel of the church of Ephesus write, the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand, the one who walks among the seven golden lampstands, says this, I know your deeds and your toil and your perseverance, and that you cannot tolerate evil men, and have put to the test those who call themselves apostles and they are not. And you found them to be false. And you have perseverance and have endured for my name's sake. And have not grown weary. But I have this against you. You have left your first love. Therefore, remember from where you have fallen. And repent and do the deeds you did at first. Or else I'm coming to you and will remove your lampstand out of its place. Unless you repent. Yet, 
This you do have. You hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Looking at this prophetically, ladies and gentlemen, you'll take note that Christ here referenced that the place has altitude or distance. The place of the first love, Ephesus has fallen from. Look at this orbitally speaking. Ladies and gentlemen, no planet has a more eccentric or off-center of circle than Mercury. They surmise that it is such an eccentric orbit, it may fall out of its orbit. Its candlestick may be moved from its place, prophetically speaking. Sometime in the future, they think that it may eventually collide with Venus and or the Earth. When we think about, I've already explained to you the resonance this creates. We begin to realize that, now wait a minute. These Nicolaitans, they could be an Old Testament reference to the Samaritans. And these bad princes, these bad nobles, these bad fatherless, widows. What he's saying is that if you do not go back to your first time, your perfect center of circle orbit, and start performing the functions you were supposed to, helping these objects obtain their own orbit, Well, I'm sure you can realize the ramifications now of what was just stated about the Church of Ephesus. These interstellar objects, the Nicolaitans or the Old Testament reference to the Samaritans. And let's talk about that a little bit, shall we? Because this goes even further. You know, what about the little bit <clears throat> that the Church of Ephesus does have? I hope that all of you realize that Mercury almost stands straight up. It's almost, almost, and actually this fact is debated as to whether it doesn't stand up perfectly or not, but its axis is almost zero degree. We have some debate about the percentage of one degree it is off, but... It's almost perfectly standing straight up and down. Is this what's being referenced here as to the little that Ephesus does have? The implications are far-reaching. Tying the Nicolaitans in further, let us consider this using bridal history one more time. You see, because the Mercury transit occurs on May the 9th, 2016. On the Jewish calendar, 
Okay? That's the first of Ayer. That is the date that commemorates the construction of the start of the second temple. Doesn't everybody remember what the Bible says about Zerubbabel and Joshua the high priest starting the temple? And it, of course, had its construction ceased for about seven years, roughly seven years. And there we had, a, of course, someone took over in Persia. There was an imposter for a while. Uh, things happened until the order was given again to start construction. Do you all remember what caused that cease? It was the Samaritans falsely accusing the Jews that were building that temple. Let me say that one more time. The Mercury transit concerning the bridal calendar is the anniversary for the completion of that second temple that had been obstructed by the Samaritans. Are these Samaritans massive impacts from these rogue celestial bodies that have collided with Mercury? These Nicolaitans Are they what is causing Mercury to not have a perfectly center of circle orbit around the sun? Ladies and gentlemen, t take note that everybody knows that a comet, an asteroid, has highly eccentric orbits. They come really close to the sun, then they go way far out. They're not even remotely close to being circular in their orbits. What do you think is the planet that gets the most tug and pull and tug and pull. Every time these comets and asteroids whip around the sun, they whip around the sun closest to Mercury. It continually has to endure this because it's so close to the sun. Because they come so close to it. When we consider these things, especially the 40-day sequence, like I said, this Mercury transit is 240 days after Rosh Hashanah 2015. If we use that for a start date on a prophetic timeline, we have 40 days left. That's the period of visibility, either morning or evening star, that Mercury has. And the anniversary date we're talking about is quite simply, ladies and gentlemen, off the charts. It's, it's, it's off the charts when you prophetically look at these texts. And I haven't even included half of them that I could. We are, of course, restrained by time. Are we in the latter rain? Well, don't be surprised if come the Mercury transit, it doesn't transit the sun like the NASA maps show where it should be. More importantly, 
if Mercury has fallen from its height, take note that Mercury is going to appear either too big, it's going to be bigger than NASA say it's going to look when it crosses the sun, or it's going to be too small, meaning its distance from the sun is wrong. It has the incorrect parallax. Is this a great and wondrous sign if all of our scientists all over the planet has already published these maps of what it's going to look like, where it's going to be on the sun's face, and that it's somewhere else, or it's the wrong diameter? What do these things mean? Let me tell you something else. That day, if you're standing on the Temple Mount, this Mercury transit occurs as the sun is going down. And the moon is very young. Extremely young, as a matter of fact. And it's right on Orion's Club. The moon is marking off Orion's Club as if the sign of the strikes club has become a mace. And the moon, the faithful witness, is the head of that mace. I will make a video so you can see this event. You'll take a note that the moon's, of course, in sickle phase. It's absolutely amazing the way this Mercury transit is going to transpire from the Temple Mount perspective. And the sign of the smite is there in the heavens, magnified by the faithful witness, the moon, resting upon the top of his club. Prayerfully consider these things. That maybe the Lord your God was trying to show you all these things in preparation for what is to come. He himself said he made these things for signs in their seasons. And most magnificently did he do so concerning the planet Mercury. So, if you'd like to learn more about these, please check out the blog post I did on this. It has the same title. I'll put it in the show notes. I'm also going to make a video to accompany the blog post so that you can see exactly what happens concerning the sign of the smite on this very day when there's but 40 days left in the birthing cycle if someone would have gotten pregnant on Rosh Hashanah 2015 the day that the Blood Moon Jubilee ended. You know, this time that we're in right now may very well be the time of the closing of the Matrix. This birthing cycle that's been added to the calculation two years and under. Two years and under is 1,010 days. You add one birthing cycle to that and you get 1,290 days. Add two years and under to that again, and you, of course, run into Gabriel in Daniel chapter 8, 2,300 days. Prayerfully consider these things, and I hope that it gets you excited to hope in your redemption and forget about your retirement. 
If you would like to learn more, uh, we have a YouTube channel, of course, Profeco.net. You'll have to go through the blog. There's all kinds of stuff there in the archives, all kinds of stuff concerning this. Of course, we have many audio available. We're also available on the social networking site. It's uh, Just go to Facebook and look up Matthew Miller. You'll find me. If you have questions or comments, you can get a hold of me uh, at prophetico at mail.com. Prophetico at mail.com. No G in there. You can also go to either prophetico.net or the biblesourcecode.com and send me a message that way if you'd like to. You can also comment on the post if you'd like to. Until next time, ladies and gentlemen, God bless. Godspeed.